Please do take a seat. And I'd love you to turn uh, in your Bibles, and there's lots of Bibles around, to the book of Habakkuk, uh, which might take you a while to find. So I suggest you get started. Um, it's on page 940 um, in the church Bibles. Page 940, Habakkuk chapter 1. And um, we started this last week, and I said last week that the structure of this book of Habakkuk is actually fairly, fairly simple. It goes like this. If you're here last week, you can join in. Uh, it goes question, answer, question, answer, sing, right? That's how Habakkuk works. Uh, there's this, com- this conversation, this encounter between Habakkuk the prophet and the Lord God of the universe. And through this book, God is showing us what he's really like. But it's really raw. It's a really open book that deals with some really painful and difficult and big things. And last week we began to get into it and we saw Habakkuk's first question was really around this thing of, God, why aren't you doing anything? You know, there's so much violence, there's so much injustice. Habakkuk's looking at his people, the culture around him, and he says, God, why, don't, why haven't you done anything? Now, we're going to look at the answer to that question today, uh, the Lord's answer. And then we're going to see that it's not quite what Habakkuk was looking for. So I'm going to read uh, from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, through to 2, verse 1. It's a fairly big chunk, but see if you can stick with it and see if you can uh, see what's going on. Here's God's answer, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. 
Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. It struck me this week that um, when I pray, I think I'm... I think when I pray, I often have a fairly good idea of the sort of thing I would like God to do. Not always, but normally I'm fairly clear in the direction that I would like the prayer to take things. I don't know all the details, that's why I need God. I need to pray and ask God to do something. But I'm fairly clear on on what I would like to happen. And that direction is nearly always better. It's it's that sort of direction. I'd like us to go in a better direction than I'm going now. And let me be clear, by better, when I really analyze my heart, what I mean is easier. I'd like things to be easier. So if you watch me peeling uh, peeling an orange, and you say to me, I know a better way of peeling an orange, I assume what you mean is you know an easier way of doing it. Because if your way is harder than my way, then I'm sticking with my way, because my way is better than yours. Because as human beings, we have this basic assumption that easier is better. And therefore, when we pray, our natural instinct is to pray, Father, please would you make things better, by which I mean easier. Please would you remove this obstacle, that's making life hard. Please would you remove this struggle, because that's a bit of a pain. Please would you get rid of this and get rid of this, and would you just... Get us going in a better direction. That's where I'd like to be heading, to the town called Easy Life, where the sun always shines and I never stub my toe. In fact, I think that that is by nature what I assume that God is there for. I think that that's his job. His job is to make my life slightly easier. He's supposed to fix the things I can't fix. He's supposed to sort out the things that I can't sort out. God, the world is a bit of a mess. Could you fix it, please? So even as we pray for North Korea and for the situation with North Korea and America, I have no idea really what a solution would be, but I kind of have got a sense of where I'd like it to go. And that's why God gets blamed when things go wrong in our world. Because God's not doing his job. When something happens, when a natural disaster happens, or something goes wrong, or or things are hard, we blame God because he's not doing his job, because his job is to make things better. Habakkuk is going to teach us something very different. Habakkuk is going to teach us that God is bigger than simply being a genie who sits in a cloud on the sky. And whenever we rub the lamp, says, poof, what do you want me to do? God is much bigger than that. And his purposes are so much greater than that. Let me say this as clearly as I can. My comfort, my ease, is not God's highest concern. It is mine, but not God's. And we're going to see from the book of Habakkuk that 
that when God chooses to answer our prayers, it doesn't always make things easier. In fact, for Habakkuk, it made things a lot worse. So Habakkuk has set out his first question. He's seen the violence. He's seen the oppression. And God's now answered. He says to him, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something, Habakkuk. Yes, Habakkuk's thinking, yes, God's going to do something. Verse 6, I am raising up, dot, dot, dot. Habakkuk, fill in the blank. What would you like, Habakkuk? I am raising up a good king who will uphold justice and remove all evil. Or, I'm raising up a faithful generation who will love God. I'm raising up a revival of worship, a transformation of the heart. Habakkuk, people are going to turn back to me. People are going to love my law. I'm raising up prophets who will teach the, the people my law. I'm raising up joy as people humble themselves before me and celebrate the festivals where violence is finished, where there's no more mourning and crying. Habakkuk, I'm raising it up. Perhaps Habakkuk even has in mind the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah spoke of a day when the sound of crying and weeping will be heard no more. So as Habakkuk hears those words, I am raising up, you think, yes, 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 Lord, what are you raising up? Because it's going to be good. And the next two words shatter everything. I am raising up the Babylonians. That is not what Habakkuk is expecting. I mean, not, not even close. That's not the right direction, God. That's, that's the wrong way. It is a perplexing thing. And that is why God has said to him in verse 5, look and be utterly amazed. I don't think that's in a kind of, wow, that's amazing. It's in a kind of, Wow. Seriously? God is going to do something that is way beyond what Habakkuk could ever expect it. I am raising up the Babylonians. Now let me warn you, those six words unleash a whole torrent of theological perplexity. Those six words provoke some of the biggest and most challenging questions in the whole of human thinking. God, the pure, perfect, holy God, is raising up the Babylonians who are ruthless and impetuous and evil. How does that work? I mean, just look how they're described. Ruthless, impetuous, it's it's like violence everywhere. We need to build this up really carefully, okay? If you want a posh word, if you like posh words, some of you don't, but some of you do, I know, because you're... Uh, strange. And uh, that this, this whole question is what is known as theodicy. Theodicy. The relationship between God and evil. How a sovereign God and evil can coexist, relate. How does that work? That's the grounds we're in this afternoon. So if you thought you were coming to church for a nice, light, jolly pick-me-up, <laughs> I'm afraid we're going to do some thinking. But let me tell you this, what we believe about God, what we understand about God's character will radically change how we live, where our confidence is placed, and whether or not we get to sing in chapter 3. You've got to understand this before you can sing. 
So let's build this up uh, very clearly. And here's my first big point. If we're going to understand this relationship between God and evil, my first big point is this. Evil really is very evil. It really is. That is what God thinks of evil. I I want to show you that from what he says about the Babylonians. He knows exactly what they're like. He's not in denial about the Babylonians. He's not like a school teacher. And if those of you who work in schools will know this. He's not like a, a, a parent, sorry, coming into a school, talking to a school teacher. And the school teacher said, uh, you need to come and talk to me because little Billy has been beating up everyone and it's just a horror and it doesn't listen in class and it's really, really naughty. And, and the parent comes in and most parents come in and they say, well, I, I don't think Billy's really like that. I don't think Billy's a bad boy. You know, it's probably not his fault. You know, Billy's kind and gentle. It must be the other people in his class. It must be the teachers. It's probably you. You're putting him under a lot of pressure, these exams he's under. You know, it's horrendous. It's not his fault. And it's incredible how in denial some parents can be about the reality of their own kids. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, God is absolutely not in denial about the Babylonians. He knows exactly what they're like. There's no spin here. He says they are seriously evil. In God's eyes, evil really is evil. He sees it for what it is, and he calls it what it is. Imagine a parent who came in and said, who sat down and said, actually, yes, Billy is a ruthless and impetuous boy. He sweeps across the whole playground, seizing what is not his own. He's feared and dreaded. It'd be a breath of fresh air, right? A bit of honesty. That's what God is saying about the Babylonians. God is very clear. Just look at at with me. Ruthless, impetuous, look, sweeping across the whole earth. Verse 6, like a tidal wave of terror just sweeping across the earth seizing stuff that doesn't belong to them. They operate by making people fear them. They use power to control and to rule people. They're just strong. You can't stand up to them. There's no hope. They've just got so much power. They exist for themselves. They exist for their own honor at the end of verse 7. They promote their own honor. They act more like wild animals than human beings. Look at it in verse 8. Their horses swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves. The cavalry galloping headlong. Their horsemen coming from afar. An eagle swooping to devour. They're relentless. They're unstoppable. This is human evil that is unchecked and unrestrained. It is completely out of control. No one can stop them. No one can stand up to them. This is power in its most raw form. goes on in verse um, 9. They're like a desert wind. They gather prisoners like sand. They're mocking and scoffing. They just laugh. They, they laugh as they destroy things. Such is their arrogance. Who can stop us? It's a frightening picture, isn't it? It's a frightening picture. And I think we struggle to really feel this because For most of us, we have lived in a time of remarkable peace. 
I mean, like seriously remarkable piece. And I think our generation is beginning to wake up for the first time to the reality that a third world war is not impossible. That has not been on my radar. And yet there is a power, an unchecked, unrestrained power and evil. And God calls it evil. When God looks at the destruction that a nuclear bomb could cause, he says that is evil. He calls it what it is. And then verse 11, they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people. There's God's verdict. They're guilty. Do you see it? Evil really is very evil. Babylon is choosing to do evil. They are responsible. And God says you are guilty. Guilt implies responsibility. You can't be guilty for something you're not responsible for. God says they are guilty because they're choosing to do this evil. They are responsible. God passes his verdict on them. You've got to understand this. We are responsible for the choices we make. Evil is not an illusion. Evil is real. And the human heart, when it is unrestrained and unchecked, is a terrifyingly frightening thing. The human heart grabs all that it can. God is not fuzzy on this issue. It's black and white for God. I think sometimes we can be fuzzy. Isaiah in Isaiah 5 talks about people who call evil good and good evil. We can blur the lines. As humanity, we can begin, and don't you begin to see this in our culture, where we will take things that God says are evil and we will call them good. And things that God says are good and we will call it evil. This is the human heart. We are fuzzy on evil. We don't like the word evil. We don't like the word guilt. We prefer words like victim, to shame, poor me. But the Bible's clear. God calls evil evil. He knows how bad it is. And can I say to you, I think that's really good news. I think the, I think the fact that God thinks evil is evil is really good news. If you've ever experienced evil in whatever way, if you've ever been harmed in any way, I want you to know this. God calls it what it is. He knows what it is. I don't think there's anything worse than, you know, going to the doctor and saying, I've, you know, I feel, I feel really ill. And they say, yeah, whatever. Who cares? I don't care. You're probably you're just faking it. It's not real. It's an illusion. It's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. And you get sent home from the doctor being told it's all in your mind. When we come to God and we cry because of the evil we see around us or the evil that we feel or, the, or even perhaps the pain we see in our own hearts, the things that we struggle with, God says, yeah, yeah, I know. I understand that. I see it. And so we have to listen hard to this. Evil is evil, but there's a second thing. And this is where it gets tricky. We have to listen hard to this prophetic word of Habakkuk. Because at this point, you could be left saying that God is sitting in heaven, shaking his head and saying, oh dear, those Babylonians, they're at it again, sweeping across the earth, destroying everything. Nasty Babylonians. I wish there was something I could do to stop them, but can't. Here's where it gets tricky. Come back to verse 6, it's in those first four words. I am raising up the Babylonians. 
come on, surely you feel that's a problem. Surely you can see there's an issue there, right? If you don't feel the problem, then you're seriously missing something. Here is the heart of the problem, the relationship that exists between God and evil. How can the God of purity and holiness be raising up an evil nation to do evil? This is big stuff. And it shapes what we really believe about God. And so here is my second big point. First thing, evil really is evil. Secondly, God really is God. He really is the one who is absolutely in control, even over evil. The Babylonians, for all their ruthless sweeping across the world, do not step one foot outside of what God raises them up to do. Even as things look out of control and chaotic, God stands behind it. God is raising them up for his purposes. Now, those two things are both taught in the Bible. Evil is evil. Human beings are guilty, responsible for our choices that we make. And yet over the top of that, way beyond that, bigger than that, in a more glorious, majestic way, God still is in control. Our choices do not undermine God's absolute control. And at this point, I think we can get a bit squeamish. We can get a bit concerned and we can sort of think, oh, no, 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 no. Let's see if we can find a way around this. You know, what if, what if we said, uh, actually, no, God isn't, it's not really God's fault that bad things happen. We want to make excuses for God. You know, we don't want God to be blamed for evil. And so people try and find a way to wriggle out of it. And it goes something like this. Stick with it, okay? I know it's, I know, I know it's a Sunday afternoon, bank holiday weekend, and this is deep stuff to be doing. But try and stick with this, right? This is, this is classically how, how people might phrase it. I want you to see why this is terrible news if, if we go down this route. It doesn't solve the problem. It sounds nice, but it doesn't solve the problem. It goes like this. Humanity has free will. Right? God has given humanity free will, and therefore we choose what we want. And God doesn't know what's going to happen, or he doesn't, you know, does, he doesn't know. He, he's not responsible. He sits there waiting to see what humanity's going to do, and then he'll react to what humanity does. Or perhaps he does know. He just chooses not to act. I want to show you that at first sight, that sounds like, oh, great, that's excellent, because that sorts the problem. Because now human beings are responsible. God's off the hook. It's not his fault. But here's the problem. If we go down that route, all you've done is shrunk God. You've shrunk God to a being who has no power. You shrink God to a God who is dependent on our choices, who can't act unless humanity chooses the right thing or sits in heaven saying, oh, why have they chosen that? And suddenly you end up in a place where you say, well, if God isn't all-powerful, if God isn't absolutely in control, then who knows who's going to win? How do you know that evil's not going to win if God isn't supremely in control? 
And the Bible presents us with these two truths. You know, sometimes I, I help people. Uh, no, that's not quite true. I, I never help people. Uh, sometimes I um, have been confronted with someone and, and I've really wanted to help them. You know, there's something in their life that they, they're really struggling with. Maybe it's, maybe it's a particular addiction or something like that, right? And, um, and I remember I had a very good friend who was, who was a, an addict. And um, I met with him loads to, to talk to him about his addiction, to help him to fight it. He hated it and he wanted to fight it. And, you know, I would, do, I would have done anything in my power to change him. I, I loved this guy. I wanted to help him to change. But I, could, I, I couldn't. I mean, there was, there was, I was limited in my power. And sometimes what I said, sometimes it would help him and, 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 it, and he would be successful, but other times he wouldn't. And I'd be so disappointed when he, when he messed up and I'd be so just gutted about it. And many people have a view of God that's like that, that he sits in heaven going, come on, don't sin, don't sin. Oh, they've done it again, they've blown it again. And yet actually what we see in the book of Habakkuk is that God in an extraordinary way is utterly in control of evil. I am raising up the Babylonians. I am in control of them. Evil is very evil, but God really is God. Now let me just, uh, I I, want to unpack this because this is really important for us to get a grip on. Man, someone's determined to get in. Let me in. Come in. Um, I just want to prove this to you. There is one place where this is seen more clearly than anywhere else in the Bible. And I hope this will clarify it. When Jesus went to the cross to die, as, as people spat on him and accused him, and as they drove nails through his hands and his feet... Was that an evil act? Is that not the supreme act of evil when humanity killed the God who created them? When humanity nailed the one, the very Son of God to a cross? There is evil. Are people guilty? Were the people guilty for that? For that free choice to to kill the Son of God? Yes. Evil is very evil. It was an evil act. And yet here's the truth. Was God in control? Was it God's plan that Jesus should die? Was it God's plan that Jesus, in his death on the cross, should take the punishment for the sins of the world? That through the death of Jesus, God might save millions of people? Yes. These two things absolutely go together. Evil really is evil. Human beings are responsible for the choices they make, yet God is absolutely in control. And even as they drove nails through the hands of his darling son, he was in control. I am raising up the Romans for this purpose, that they might crucify my son, that salvation might come to the world. You see, God stands behind All things. He is absolutely in control. Now there's mystery here, okay? Big mystery. And we're going to see now how we react to all this. Um, When when evil strikes. Um, Have a look at what Habakkuk says next. 
We've got these two big things going on in our heads. What do we do with them? How do we react? We react in two ways. Hold on to what you know. Hold on to what you know. And be honest about what you see. That's what Habakkuk does. So look what he says. Habakkuk's second complaint. What he does is he goes from this, he hears this answer. I'm raising up the Babylonians, this ruthless, impetuous people, uh, but, but God is raising them up. Habakkuk's response, he clings to what he knows about God. Do you see it? Look, he says, Lord, you're from everlasting. My God, my Holy One, you will never die. He starts, he starts kind of reciting truth about God. Okay, hang on a second. You're my God. You're my Holy One. You're, you never die. You're the eternal God. You have appointed them to execute judgment. You've ordained them to perish and punish. I know this is true. This is what I, I know is true. Your eyes are pure. You're, you're my rock. You cannot tolerate wrong. Do you see he's spelling out what he knows? Hold on to what you know. I think we spend so much time stressing about what we don't know. I mean, that was always a good tip when I went into exams, which I don't do very much anymore. I used to go in so stressed about what I didn't know. Much better to focus on what I do know. Okay, fine, I'll find the questions I do know the answers. I'll do those, and that'll take me five minutes. (laughs) Then I'll draw pictures. Um, But as human beings, we can get so obsessed with what we don't know. I don't know how evil and God can coexist. I don't know. I don't know how God could allow this to happen. I don't know. Well, stick to what you do know. You do know about God. There are things that we do know. We know that he is my God. He's my rock. He's my saviour. He's the everlasting one. He sees from a different perspective to me. He sees in a different way. I'm limited by time. I'm stuck here at one moment in time. But he's the everlasting one who never dies. Of course he sees things differently. Sometimes things happen and I don't understand. Apologies if you've heard me say this before, but I I hope it helps. When I was a kid, my mum took me to a strange room where a man stuck a needle into me. And I, and I didn't know what was happening. And I genuinely thought that my mum didn't love me anymore. She didn't do anything. She was sitting there. I'm like, mum, how long? How long must I cry out for help and you're silent? How long must you allow this evil man to stab this thing into me? It hurts, mum. Yeah, I, from my perspective, from what I could see what was happening, this was bad news. But my mum was the eternal one, the one who sat over, not really, uh, that was a joke. (laughs) My mum had a different perspective to me. She could see that this was an injection that was for my good. She could see it. I couldn't. And Habakkuk here, he clings to what he knows of God. And I want to say to you, on those days and on those moments when you begin to doubt that God is good and you begin to think, how could God act like this? Cling to what you know. And you know more than Habakkuk did. You know more. You know 
that there is a God in heaven who loves you. You know that God is so passionately committed to saving you that he would send his darling son to die. You know that God's purposes and plans was to raise up evil people who would crucify his son in order that you would be saved. And when things happen to me and I don't understand, I say, but this I know. He gave his son for me. He's my rock. You're my God. You're my Holy One. Cling to what you know. That's what Habakkuk does. Speak it out. Say it out loud. But this I know. God is pure. He's holy. God is not to blame for the evil that happens in our world, even though he stands behind it. He is not responsible for it, although he is control in control of it. These are distinctions we must get clear. How we learn to trust him. So hold on to what you know. Be honest about what you see. Habakkuk just says it like it is. These people are wicked. I mean, look at the end of verse 13. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? As if he says, look, when I said that things were bad in Jerusalem and in God, among God's people, it, we're not as bad as that. And wicked people seem to be now taking over us. And he describes what he sees and he describes the, the wickedness of the people as they just seem to grab whatever they want. They live in luxury. Don't you sometimes, do you never feel that? Do you never sometimes think, look, here am I trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to love God. And things keep going wrong. And my mates, who couldn't give a stuff about God, they're the ones who get promotion. They're the ones who get a nice house. They're the ones who don't get ill. They're the ones who everything seems to go right. They just seem to live in luxury. They're living... Is that, is that just me? We can feel that sort of injustice. And Habakkuk just spells it out. They're having this happy time, living in luxury, enjoying the choicest food. Are they just going to go on emptying the net forever? Be honest about it. Say it to God. Hold on to what you know. Be honest about what you see. And then here it is. This is where we finish. I love this. This is what faith looks like. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He sets it all out. Then he doesn't storm out of the room in a huff going, well, you stupid God. Instead, he says, I'm going to stand on the ramparts and I'm going to wait and watch. He's expecting that God will answer. That's why we have got this as our image for the book of Habakkuk. That waiting, that watching into the nothingness to say, I know there's an answer because of what I know about God. And Habakkuk, we're going to leave him on the ramparts. He's going to spend all week standing there. And next week we'll come back and we'll begin to see how God answers. But this week is tough, and I get that. This week, for some of us, it's going to be really hard for us to accept 
that evil things that have happened to us were not outside of God's control. It doesn't mean he's pleased. It doesn't mean he loves them. It doesn't mean that as his son was crucified, God was going, oh, isn't this good? This is lovely. No, it was breaking his heart. But he wasn't out of control. And there has not been one moment when your life has been out of control. Not one moment. And I want you to find comfort in that, however painful that is. And I want you to know, hold on to what you know. Cling to what you know of God. Be honest about what you see. And then I want you to join, I want you to join Habakkuk standing on the ramparts. Saying, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for you to speak. And God has got an answer. But we're going to see that in the next few weeks. And as we come to see it, we'll then find a place of singing. But this is raw. I know that. Evil is raw. It hurts. It's painful. It's because it really is evil. But God really is in control. Let's pray together. And then we're going to respond and sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that thank you that you don't turn a blind eye to the evil in our world. You call it what it is. You see it for what it is. And Father, we thank you that at the same time of seeing the evil, you also are absolutely in control. We confess we don't understand. We confess there's mystery here, but we confess that this is good news. That this is good that we have a Father who cares and knows. And we pray when things seem to be getting harder rather than better, that we would hold on to what we know, that we would be honest about what we see, and then we'd stand on the ramparts and wait. Wait in faith, because we know we can trust you. Father, thank you for the reality of your word, that it deals with real, hard, raw issues. And we pray today that we might have an increased confidence in who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.